All right, I want to welcome everyone this morning. If you have your Bibles, I'll be reading from Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25, Luke chapter 10. I will also be reading from Leviticus chapter 19. Luke chapter 10 is going to reference Leviticus 19. So I'm going to read just a few verses from Leviticus chapter 19. This morning, I'm going to continue a series of messages that I have entitled, What's Love Got to Do With It? One of the most important lessons that I have learned in my 27 plus year journey with Jesus Christ is the importance of loving God with my whole heart and loving my neighbor as myself. If I had to sit down with a brand new person who'd never heard of Jesus, who was freshly born again and baptized, and explain to them the most important things to focus on, if you want to be healthy in Christ, it would start with this. Love God with every fiber of your being. Walk in God's love for you. And allow that love to transform the way you treat other people. How many of you realize that it is impossible to love God with your whole heart and be hateful to other people? It just doesn't work. If the love of God is really oozing out of me from all my pores, at some point, I'm going to love my neighbor as myself. 2,000 years ago, Jesus was approached by an expert in the law. And I preached this one last Sunday. And the expert asked him to name the most important command in the whole Old Testament. And Jesus said without hesitation, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. And the second one is love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus quoted from Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19. And last Sunday, I preached about loving God with your whole heart. And I told you last Sunday that I was going to come back this Sunday and talk about the second half, which is love your neighbor as yourself. If you missed it last Sunday, it's on my Facebook page. The church has a YouTube page. You can go back and watch that sermon in its entirety. Now, today we are in Luke chapter 10. And this is going to be a different expert in the law coming up to Jesus and asking him a slightly different question. But I want you guys to notice that the same two Old Testament passages are going to be quoted. Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19. So let's read Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. 
They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you might have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now, put your finger right there, and let's flip over to Leviticus chapter 19 for just a second, because Jesus is citing a passage from Leviticus chapter 19. So I want to read just a little bit, not the whole chapter. Let's start about verse 11 to give us a little context on the passage that we agreed upon says, love your neighbor as yourself. From Leviticus 19, talking about your neighbor, do not steal, do not lie, do not deceive one another, do not swear falsely by my name, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Do not defraud or rob your neighbor. Do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind. But fear your God. I am the Lord. Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great. But judge your neighbor fairly. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly, or you will not share in their guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. How many of y'all knew that all of that was attached to love your neighbor as yourself? I'm going to call the message this morning, Learning to See through the lenses of love. Many struggle to love neighbor because most have never learned to view their neighbor through what I'm going to call the lenses of love. I was out riding my bicycle last Sunday afternoon down through my neighborhood, and as I rounded a corner I saw a familiar sight. I saw a U-Haul truck in someone's yard. There are duplexes on that side of the neighborhood where people rent. Not uncommon. And I saw two guys unloading a big truck. 
How many of you know that you find out who your friends really are when you move? You find out you don't have many friends. And what I saw out of the corner of my eye was one guy and his probably only buddy on planet Earth struggling to unload a truck. But I was riding my bicycle. I had a mission. And my mission was to make it all the way down to the stop sign and back and get my exercise. So as I pedaled past, I saw him out of the corner of my eye, but I wasn't paying him any attention. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me. Now, God might not speak to you like this, but he speaks to me like this on a regular basis. He says, what did you just see? And I'm pedaling along. And I said, I I think I just saw a U-Haul truck with a couple of guys unloading furniture. And the Lord spoke to me and said, I want you to go back and ask that man if he needs any help. Now, I know you guys are far more spiritual than me, but this is how the conversation went between me and the Lord. I said, but Lord, I don't want to help that guy. (laughs) I'm riding my bicycle. I'm doing what's good for my heart. You know, I had a heart attack last year and I'm trying to be a good boy. I'm trying to make sure that the blood is pumping. I'm doing what the doctor wants me to do. And God said, I want you to go back and ask that man if he needs any help. And I said, but God, if I ask him that, he might say yes. And I really don't want to unload a truck. Well, God being who he is, let me pedal for a minute or two and think about it. But by the time I made it to the stop sign and back, And I was about to cross that guy's yard again. I pulled up in there and said, hey, I'm John. I live down the the road here. And I'm your neighbor. And I wonder if you need any help. And the guy said, yes. I knew he was going to say yes. Yes, I need some help. So I was right. One guy who's living there, his only buddy in the world. And they're really sweating and working hard. So I helped the buddy. And we start hauling stuff into the house. And after a while, I jumped up in the truck and I started helping the man and we started really getting the truck unloaded and the fellow's wife showed up and she was happy. And one of her first questions was, hey, John, where do you go to church when you go? And I said, oh, well, I'm the pastor over at First Assembly of God. And it turns out that two of these people were probably born again. But the guy that was living in the house, the one that was really unloading the truck, probably not born again. And I had an opportunity to have a real encounter with this fella. And we set it up where I could come back. I said, we'll probably come back with some cookies or something at, at, at a future time and really give you all a little welcome to the neighborhood visit. But I have to go right now. My wife probably wonders where I've wandered off to, but it's been really good to meet you. And I pedaled on and went back to the house. Now, here's how God talks to me. You guys may not hear God like this, but many times God will debrief me after an encounter like this. And God, sure enough, shows up and and debriefs and he says, you know, what'd you learn today, John? I said, well, number one, I learned that you are concerned about people and sometimes I'm not. Sometimes I'm in my own little zone or in my own little world and I'm just not paying attention, but you were concerned about that man And you reached out to me to make that concern my concern. And he said, very good, very good. What else did you learn today? And I thought about it for another minute. And I said, you know, Father, it seems like when I drove by there the first time, I saw that person through a certain lens. And by the time I made it to the stop sign and back, it's almost as if your Holy Spirit had changed the lens through which I was viewing that guy. And I saw him differently the second time 
And when I saw him that way, I responded differently to him. And God says, very good, you win a cookie. That's the, that's the correct answer. You changed your lens. How many people here have ever been to the eye doctor and had them put your face up to that machine where they dial up the lenses? And which one is more clear? Number one, number two, number two, number three. And I can't tell the difference sometimes, but eventually they dial up those lenses until that chart on the wall is really, really clear. Have y'all ever had that happen? God said that's sort of what happened to you on Sunday with the bicycle and the U-Haul. You had on a set of lenses. Everybody has a set of lenses. Believe it or not, you look at everyone and everything through a set of lenses. You, you process, you respond, you digest based on the lens that you're wearing. And I had on a particular set of lenses that said, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm not worried about my neighbor. And by the time God put his lenses on my eyes, I saw those people from God's point of view. God loves those people, therefore... I'm going to love those people as well. I was reminded that my behavior toward other people can be transformed if I learn to see them through lenses of love. How many people here have ever heard of Mother Teresa? Mother Teresa spent much of her adult life caring for the poor and dying in the poorest sections of India. And someone asked her years ago, well, you must really love the poor. And Mother Teresa said, no, I don't love the poor at all. I love Jesus with all my heart. Jesus loves the poor. And when she saw those people as Jesus sees those people, she had no choice but to adjust her behavior because she was seeing through lenses of love. 2,000 years ago, an expert in the law approached Jesus. And this person would not have been so much a lawyer as we understand lawyers, as he would have been a religious scholar. His law was the law of Moses, things like the book of Leviticus. He would have studied it for years. He would have sat around all day and discussed it with his colleagues and had various conversations. Last week, an expert in the law wanted to know from Jesus which is the most important law in the whole book. This time, the expert says, Jesus, what must I do to obtain eternal life? What do I have to do to go to heaven? And I want you to notice that the answer was given before Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. At that particular time, the pathway to heaven was through the law, through faith in God and obedience to the law. So Jesus asked the man, how do you read it? What does the law say? And the guy brought up the same two passages that we read last week. These are two important concepts. You're going to find these throughout the New Testament. The man said, love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, that's right. If you do that, you'll live. If you actually love God and actually love neighbor. It's possible to be a religious person and be able to quote the right Bible verses and not really love God or neighbor. You can go to church and not love God or love neighbor. So rather than just take his answer and go home, the religious expert wanted to justify himself. He wanted to split hairs with Jesus. And he said, well, who is my neighbor? Who do I have permission to not love? 
Now, most Jewish men would have told you, I have to love my family, I have to love my close relatives, first cousin, second cousin, but when it gets down to third cousins and fourth cousins, I might not have to lift a finger to help them. I definitely don't have to love Gentiles. I definitely don't have to love Samaritans. Jesus, who do I have to love? Who do I have permission to overlook? And Jesus told a parable. Now, parables are stories that are designed to cause us to look inside ourselves. And in this particular parable, I believe Jesus wanted the expert in the law to look into the story and to determine which of these characters more closely represented him. Do you identify with the bandits? Or do you identify with the priest and the Levite? Or do you identify with the Samaritan? So I'm going to do the same thing today. I'm going to go down through this parable, and I'm going to do this a little bit differently than I've ever done it before. I want us to get inside this story, and I want us to determine which lens each of these groups were wearing. They were all looking at the same guy. The bandits, the religious leaders, the Samaritan. They all saw the same guy. Just like I saw that guy unloading a U-Haul truck last week. But they all saw him through different lenses. And I believe when we get to the end of the parable, Jesus is going to say, which set of lenses should you be using? He's going to confront this guy with the notion that he doesn't really love God and he certainly doesn't love his neighbor. And that he needs to change the way he sees people. The way you see people will determine the way that you treat people. And if you want to love people like you love yourself, if you really want to love your neighbor, at some point you have to change the way that you see them. You say, well, I'm with you, brother. How do I do it? If this is all that important to my spiritual health, if seeing people through the lenses of love is that important and, and treating them with love, what do I have to do? Let's answer that question today by looking into this passage and embracing the transformation that can be ours if we learn to see people through the lens of love. Are you all ready? Revelation number one, lens number one. Lens number one, like the thieves. Many view people as a commodity to be exploited for personal gain. Many view others as a commodity to be exploited for personal gain. Jesus said a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And I have to ask, how can you treat another human being like that? You have to see that other person through a particular lens. When I studied abnormal psychology, we spent some time talking about the antisocial personality type, the, the serial killer. How can you kill people again and again and again? At some point, they see people differently. They don't see them as humans. They might see them as bugs or animals or whatever. Here for my enjoyment. The thieves saw a man coming down the road and they said, aha, here's an easy one. Here's a marker. We're going to beat this guy, we're going to take everything valuable, and we're going to cast him aside and leave him for dead. They saw him as a commodity. Have you ever known other people who looked at you 
in the same way. Have you ever known the used car salesman type? Have you ever had one of these people in your circle? And every time you saw this person coming, he was going to try to sell you something. And it's, oh no, here he comes. He's going to try to get a hook in you. He doesn't care about you as a person. He sees you as a commodity for his purpose. He's going to try to sell you something. And if he can't sell you anything, this is the kind of person that doesn't have time to fool with you. I'm in the insurance business, and I know people who are very successful. I had one guy big-time insurance producers say, every person I meet, I'm working an angle on that person. He sees every person he meets as a potential sale, and if he can't sell you anything, whoop, he doesn't have time to fool with you. How many times have you ever met a politician? Anybody here ever met a politician? And known for sure that they really didn't care about you as a human being. You were nothing more than what to that politician? A, a vote. You're a voter. And yes, I'll be friendly to you. I'll pat you on the back. I'll tell you whatever you want to hear. But I don't really care about you. I'm going to use you to get what I want from you. And when I'm done with you, I'm done with you. I'll go to Washington or to Atlanta or wherever and forget all about you. How do they see people? Through a lens. And that lens says you are a commodity and I'll use you for my purposes and then I'm done with you. I have encountered men over the years who will tell me they have problems with lust or problems with porn. And you look at a woman and you see her a certain way. You have to dehumanize that person and say she's no longer a person, she's a commodity. She is a collection of body parts here for my viewing enjoyment. She doesn't have feelings. She doesn't have rights. I see her a certain way. And if you want to change your heart from a heart filled with lust to a heart filled with love, at some point you have to change the lens that you're using to see that other person. Now, I read just a little bit from the book of Leviticus. And Leviticus gave us a couple of bullet points under the heading, Love Your Neighbor. Do not lie to your neighbor. Do not deceive your neighbor. Do not defraud. Now, where I come from, they call that horse trading. I come from Alabama, where they say the rule is do unto others first. And if I know a man that sold a three-legged horse, the fourth leg was about to fall off this animal. And he took it and he jacked it up with steroids and with whatever he could put into it and took it down to the horse sale and sold it at a full price. He defrauded his neighbor. And I, I confronted him at work the next week. I said, how do you do that? You have to view that other guy as a sucker. He's not a person. He's a sucker. And if he's a sucker, I can defraud him. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says you're looking at that person through the wrong set of lenses. Leviticus says, do not slander your neighbor. Does that mean gossip? When I hear something juicy and I spread it around to all my friends and just tear that other person to pieces... Am I loving my neighbor as myself? No. What lens am I using? I'm using the lens that says you're not really a person, you're a commodity. And today I find it convenient to gossip about you because it brings some sort of sick joy into my heart. And when I'm done, I'll cast you aside. I don't see you as a person. 
If you really think about it, and if you really pray about it, you'll find out that we have more in common with these thieves than most people might want to admit. We have, at least I have, I know you guys have never done this, but we have at least once or twice in our lives looked at people with this lens and said, that person is not really a person, they're here for my purposes. I know y'all have never done this, but I've been to a restaurant once or twice. My wife hates going to a restaurant with me. I've done this, and I have to fight it. And the restaurant is crowded. And the waitress is doing her best, but she's not going fast enough to suit me. Y'all have never done this. And I might not say it out my mouth. I might not say it to her. But I'm thinking it in my heart. And God hears it either way. I'm thinking, what are you doing? Where's my food? I'm hungry. I've been sitting here 15 minutes. I wanted it medium well. And you burned my steak. My goodness, there's not going to be a tip. How do I see that woman? She's not a person, is she? I read a book by Gabe Lyons called Unchristian. And the book is a compilation of interviews with unchurched Americans, and they're telling us what they really think about us, how they perceive us. And one of the things I found interesting is that these unchurched people said, those Christians just perceive us as a convert. They just want us to, to pray some sinner's prayer where they can put another notch on their belt and say, we led another one to Jesus. They don't really care about us. They see us more as a commodity. Is that possible? Is it possible even for church people to see other people as commodity? I heard a pastor a few years ago that baptized 400 people in one year down in South Florida. And he was not in a big town and he was not in a large church, but they baptized 400 people in one year. And somebody asked him, how'd you do it? He said, here's how we did it. We looked for our neighbors in the ditch and we went out and loved those people with no strings attached. When I see people through this set of lenses, I've got strings attached. The pastor said, we went out and we found people who were in the ditch and we loved those people with no strings attached. That's sort of like driving up in somebody's yard when they're unloading a U-Haul truck and saying, hey, can I help you? He said, we were baptizing them by the truckload. People were responding by the truckload. People want to be loved, but people are not stupid. If you've walked around on planet Earth for more than about 10 minutes, you know what it feels like to be a mark. You know what it feels like to have that used car salesman pounce on you. You know what it feels like to try to shoo that person away. People are hungry for love, and when God's people show them love, people will respond. We have to avoid lens number one. Now, if you were honest right now, how many would say, okay, at least once or twice, I have looked at people through this particular lens, and God is already convicting me. Okay? Here comes lens number two. Lens number two. Like the religious leaders in this story, some view people as obstacles to be avoided. Some view people as obstacles. Jesus has this guy beaten, stripped, and thrown into the ditch. Verse 31, a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, 
when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So the priest and the Levite were both religious leaders in the religion of Judaism. They would both have responsibilities around the temple. And both of these guys would be concerned with ritual cleanliness, ritual purity. And touching a dead body might cause either of them to be unclean. And if he wanted to serve at the temple, he would have to go back and bathe himself all over again. He'd have to wash his clothes. He would have to go through this long ritual of purification. It would be a real pain in the neck. So as the priest comes, he looks and he sees the guy through a lens. Not the same lens as the bandits, but a lens nonetheless. And he processes what he sees, and he sees... An obstacle to be avoided. If I touch that man and he's dead, I'm going to have to go through all this cleansing, all this rigmarole. I won't be able to go to church and get up on the platform and do my thing. So the priest crosses on the other side of the road. The Levite sees the same guy through the same exact lens and sees an obstacle. This is a human being in the ditch, maybe dead. No, he's an obstacle and I don't have time to fool with him. I need to go as far away from him as I can. Read the New Testament. Read the Gospels. And notice that the 12 disciples, when they were being trained by Jesus, many times would view people through the same lens. They would see little kids and say, Get those little kids out of here! Obstacle to be avoided. Jesus would say, No, no, no. Let the little kids come to me. Let them in. The disciples would look at a crowd and see an obstacle to be avoided. Jesus, send the crowd away. And Jesus would say, no, they're hungry. Feed them on more than one occasion. The disciples had to have their lenses updated. The original set of lenses they had were not like the thieves that would say beat them and leave them in the ditch, but the original lenses for the 12 disciples were the wrong lenses. They would say, no, people, they're obstacles. Avoid them at all costs. Now, I know you guys have never done this, okay? I'm going to go ahead and confess all my shortcomings today. But on more than one occasion, I have seen people through this set of lenses. Y'all have never done this. But I'll go, for instance, to Walmart. And I'm one of those personalities. I know what I need from Walmart. I know where it's supposed to be located. I know the quickest route to get in and out with the stuff and to get out of the parking lot. My objective is to get out of there as fast as possible. And Walmart is laid out in such a way that those aisles are so narrow, one person with their grocery cart turned sideways can block up the whole aisle. Y'all have never done this. And I don't say it out loud, but I'll come up that aisle and I know exactly where my item is, and there she is, and I'm like, ah! You're in my way! Or there's six members of the family, and I know there's six because all six of them are standing there in aisle three having a family meeting about which Twinkies they want. How many of y'all want these Twinkies? How many of y'all want those Twinkies? And I'm the one that goes, ah, make a grocery list. Appoint any one member of your family to go and buy the groceries, and the other five of y'all stay home. Y'all are in my way. Y'all have never done that. No, that's just me, right? Or here's another one. Now, this one 
You can find this one in almost any setting. I call her Chatty Patty. I'm not a chatty person. I'm the kind of person that gets straight to the point. We have a conversation on the phone. The long hanger upper is the one who doesn't know when the phone call is over. I do. And I'll tell you, all right, God bless. Bye, bam. I'll hang it up. Chatty Patty is the one who will talk for a week. And I don't have a week just to stand around. And I'm the only one now. Y'all have never done this. But I'll see Chatty Patty in Walmart. Or I might even see Chatty Patty at church. Y'all wouldn't do this at church. Praise God. I know you wouldn't. But you'll see Chatty Patty at church and say, oh, Lord, here she comes. And you'll go scooting out to the other door where you don't have to talk to her. Y'all have never done that, right? She gets on my nerves. She's an obstacle to be avoided. What lens are you using to view this person? How are you looking at this person? You're looking at this person much like the religious leaders in this passage of Scripture. You see them as obstacles to be avoided. What about people with different political or social views? I don't agree with much of what other people think or believe. But should that affect the way I see them? Should I avoid them? Should I keep away from them? Should I not have any kind of conversation with them under any circumstances? If you live, if you work in an office or if you work on a crew, you don't get to choose the people who work beside you. What happens if you get stuck with a person who has very different political or social views. How do you view that person? Are they just an obstacle? Do I just need to stay away? I had interaction with a pastor several years ago named Rex Borman, who was doing great work at the time in a, in a big city church. And we met at a pastor's boot camp and I really clicked with Rex. And he, he told his testimony and my testimony was somewhat similar, but Rex said back in the early 1970s, I was a hippie. How many of you guys are old enough to remember the hippies back in the 60s and 70s? They had a totally different lifestyle. They dressed differently. Everything was different about the hippies. And in the middle of that, there was this thing called the Jesus movement where a lot of those hippies were trying to find Jesus and some of the church people didn't really know how to see them, <laughs> didn't really know how to handle them. And I've known more than a few hippies that were, were treated unkindly when they tried to come to church during that time and, and really find Jesus. Well, Rex said, I wasn't looking for Jesus. He said, I was stoned as a laboratory rat. I've been smoking pot all afternoon. Some of y'all know what it means to be stoned as a laboratory rat. And one of the side effects of marijuana is called the munchies. And Rex said, I had the worst case of the munchies I've ever had in my life. And I wanted to go to Dairy Queen and just get something to eat. And he said, I didn't realize that it was Sunday night and the Sunday night church service had just let out, and Dairy Queen was full of all these church people. Now, how many of you realize that as church people, we have a certain way of seeing things and a certain way of processing things, and we might see a hippie and hear, danger, danger, stay away from that guy, or that guy is to be avoided, he's not one of us, doesn't look like one of us, doesn't smell like one of us, and one of them says, Mabel, did you see how big that boy's pupils are? His pupils are as big as saucers. Yeah, he's stoned. Rex said, I walked in that Dairy Queen, and I have never been loved like that in my life. 
There were all these silver-haired church people in there eating ice cream, and they just engulfed me. They just brought, just sucked me in. And I couldn't tell them no. They were just so loving. They offered to buy my food, sit with us, let us tell you about Jesus. Rex said, I'd never heard the name of Jesus. I was in my 20s. I had never heard of Jesus. And he said, I went out as a result and bought a Bible and read the whole Bible in a week. He said, I got saved just sitting there reading that Bible. And he came to the church about a week later. And those same people, they just drew him in. They didn't say, well, you're going to have to change your clothes if you hang out here. Are you going to have to cut that hair? If No, no, come in. They baptized him. They discipled him. He went on to become a pastor. And is probably somewhere in America today still bearing fruit in God's kingdom. What had to happen for those church people to embrace that hippie? They had to get rid of lens number two. Lens number one says, you're a commodity and I'm going to use you. Lens number two says, no, you're an obstacle, and I need to avoid you at all costs. How many people, honest now, if you were honest, would say, you know what, I've done that myself. I do that all the time. I treat a lot of people that way. What about lens number three? Jesus didn't leave it there. He pointed out two lenses that we need to avoid, but then he gave us lens number three, and this is the one that I believe he wants us to embrace. Lens number three. Like the Samaritan. Some view people as God's children to be treated with love and compassion. Some view others as God's children. Let's keep on reading. The priest and the Levite passed on the other side. Verse 33 says, But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, took pity on him. They're all looking at the same guy. Three very different lenses. This guy sees something that the others did not see. Or he sees it differently. Now, Samaritans were hated by the Jews. If you had asked this legal expert, who do you have permission not to love, Samaritans would have been high on the list. I don't have to love Samaritans. <laughs> Jesus made the Samaritan the star of the show on purpose. The guy that was least likely to do the right thing is going to do the right thing. And it starts with how he sees his neighbor in the ditch. What do I see? I see a human being created in the image of God. This is someone that God loves, that God holds dear. I'm going to do whatever I can to help that man. Now, I've given you this definition every Sunday that I've been in this series, but you need to hear it again. The definition of the word love as Jesus is using the word. The word love means to choose. I choose to put the other person's best interest ahead of my best interest. Doesn't mean I feel fuzzy feelings about this guy. I don't feel anything for him. I make a choice. The Samaritan made a choice. Wherever he was going, he might have had an appointment. I don't know. Whatever was on his agenda, that doesn't matter anymore. This guy and his well-being are more important than whatever I was doing. This is the very heart of love your Neighbor. He got down off his donkey. He performed first aid. He loaded the man up, took him into town, reached in his own wallet 
and paid for the man's lodging. Now, I can love my neighbor until it costs me money. But when it starts to get into my pocket sometimes, I don't know about that. The Samaritan wasn't worried about his pocketbook. This is my neighbor. He is, he is God's child. God loves him. I love him. I'm going to pay for his overnight. I'm going to give money to the innkeeper. And if it costs more than this, I'll pay you the difference on the next trip. This is the very definition of Christian love. How does it work? It starts with how you see people. And if you see people as God sees people, you start to treat people as God treats People, if I see people as a commodity or if I see them as an obstacle to be avoided, I'm going to act accordingly. But when I see people through this set of lenses, I act differently. My mother was a unique individual. And for many years, Lisa and I lived across the road from my mother and down the street from her mother. Both grandmas were across the road for my kids. And we lived in a little community out in the country. And in order to get to town, you had to go around a certain curve that we call Wyatt's Curb. Because Wyatt's lived all around it. You had to slow down because it was a bad curb. And one of the Wyatt's had a rental trailer sitting in that curb. And we knew different people who rented the trailer. We would sort of acquaint ourselves. And one day I began to notice that a new person had moved into the Wyatt's rental trailer. And I was kind of curious, you know, who's the new neighbor? And we were all asking, have you seen the new neighbor? Have you seen the new neighbor? And I was trying to catch a glimpse. Y'all ever been in a community like that? We weren't snooping, but we were snooping. And one day I drove past and I saw the man that I perceived to be the new neighbor, and he looked scary. <laughs> Have you ever seen somebody and thought, that dude's probably killed people in his life? You ever, you ever had that feeling? You see people through a lens. And most of us have been burned once or twice, and the lens is avoid, avoid, obstacle, danger. And I saw this guy, and I said, man, he's got that look that says, I have probably killed other people, and I might kill you if you meet me on a bad day. And I, I discerned all that just driving past him. And I came back and asked Lisa, have you seen the new neighbor? I've seen him. He's scary looking. I don't even want to slow down when I go around that curb. Well, I went to my mama's house for Thanksgiving. She had six children, three half children or, or stepchildren, nine total, and all their wives and kids and friends. There could be a hundred people at her house, and you didn't know most of them at Thanksgiving. It was not strange. So I showed up at my mama's house and I sat down at this big massive table to get ready to eat. And I looked down at the end of the table and there was the dude that had moved in at Wyatt's Curve sitting at mama's table. The axe murderer. And I said, mama, who is that? And she said, oh, that's Jim. He's our new neighbor. Come in here and meet Jim. She said, Jim, this is my son. I want you to just meet Jim. Said, hey, how you doing? He would talk like a... Argh. And I said, dear Lord, help us. So we sat down and ate and started talking. And I started asking casual questions. And it turns out Jim had killed a man. I was right. I can size him up. I spent a lot of years playing in really rough biker bars and honky-tonks. I can size him up. And I sized him up right. He had killed a dude. He'd done 25 years in prison. I saw it. I knew. I said, that's a rough dude. 
But Jim had moved down to Alabama to get a new start. He'd done his prison time. He was trying to get back on his feet. He was almost 60, had been in prison much of his adult life, and was just needing friends. And my mother looked at him and saw a neighbor in the ditch, and I didn't see that at all. I saw an obstacle to be avoided. Well, Jim was open to a visit. I sort of laid the groundwork for me coming to see him, and he said, that's all right. So I came and saw him, and we sat around, drank some Coca-Colas, and talked, and I shared Jesus with him and invited him to church. And he said, well, I ain't going to promise you nothing. But lo and behold, after a while, he started sticking his head in the door down at the church, and he would pop in for a worship service. And my wife made friends with him, and he asked her if she'd be willing to clean his house once a week in exchange for a little money, and they worked out a deal. Yeah. He said, oh, I love how Miss Lisa cleans my house. She, you just got the, the greatest wife in the world. And he was just great around the kids, and he was just great around people. And it only took a little while before God got a hold of Jim, and he came forward one Sunday and said, I want Jesus to be my Savior, and I want to be baptized. And I had the opportunity to baptize Jim and help him during the first little phase of his new life in Jesus. What had to happen to me? What lessons did I have to learn through that entire interaction? I had to learn, and I have to learn this over and over. I had to learn it again last Sunday with the U-Haul truck. Most of the time, I'll put on the wrong set of glasses. Most of the time, I'll put on the set of glasses that says, I'm going to stay away from you. <laughs> you're a time waster. You're, you're going to, ah, I'm going to avoid you. And if I really want to love God with all my heart, if I really want to love my neighbor as myself, I have to choose. Sometimes, minute by minute, I have to choose the set of glasses or lenses that I'm going to use to see people. And when I catch myself getting aggravated, or agitated, the Holy Spirit is now the one that says, John, which glasses are you wearing? How are you seeing this person? How are you processing what you see? Are you like the bandits who see this person as a commodity? Are you the religious leaders who see them as an obstacle? Or are you more like the Good Samaritan? At the end of the story, Jesus said, which one acted like a neighbor? And the religious leader couldn't even say Samaritan. He said, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said, now you go do the same. This is not just a story for us to debate in one of your little church circles. This is a story that's designed to change the way you behave toward people. Now, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes. Music is about to play. The altar is one of the most important things we do on Sunday morning. And the altar is the place where you bow down before God. What I called debriefing a while ago. It's a place where you fall down before God and say, how does this need to affect me? How do I need to respond to this? Which person are you right now? Are you the bandits? Are you more like the religious leaders? Are you already seeing people like the Samaritan? What adjustments do you need to make? How many people need to fall down before God right now and say, God, I need a new set of lenses. Holy Spirit is dealing with me.
I need to change the lenses through which I see people. 